Looking to take your career or business to the next level? The CLIMB Center for Advancement offers fast, specialized training to help with professional, team, business, or personal goals. Backed by the experience and size of PCC. Learn more at pcc.edu slash CLIMB. Here's the challenge. Makers don't always know what to market. Small business owners and entrepreneurs have great ideas, amazing talents, and an abundance of energy. But not everyone knows how to outdo outreach when it comes to marketing. According to Forbes magazine, the number one reason new businesses fail is because they don't market effectively. So customers don't connect with their products. Bottom line, brand awareness equals Benjamins. Welcome to Biz 503. I'm Cindy Tortorisi with The Link, co-hosting today with Perry Gruber. Joining us now to tell us about tie between marketing and stories to share their own tales are some industry pros. Kristen Taylor, founder and owner of the Kristen Taylor Marketing. Steve Schaumler, owner and founder of Spark to Bonfire Consulting. And Deb Hartman, CEO of Deb Hartman Digital. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Cindy. Let's start with the concept of marketing as a story. What do stories and marketing have in common? Or what stories do businesses have to tell? When I work with a client, the first thing I tell them is the whole point of marketing is decide what you are and then be that. And so there's the first part where you have to decide exactly what it is about your brand you want to communicate. And then the be that part is telling your story, the creative executions that need to come about in order to communicate what you've decided you are. It's a very simple two-step process, and it's but it's very important to make that decision up front what you want to communicate and then communicate it through your stories and your marketing outreach. How do you make that decision? What if you're but what if you have a couple of great <laughs> messages that you want to communicate to your audience and you need to pick one or you have many and you need to pick three? Well, sometimes, you know, it is re- you're absolutely right. It's really important to focus and really important to keep in mind your end user, keep in mind your customer or your client. Always have their perspective, their needs, their pain points in mind in marketing so that you are communicating exactly what they need to hear in order to answer their question of how they can get past this pain point. I do a process with my clients called the Brand Voice Workshop where we sit down and we talk about these issues and make sure that what we've decided to be is not only something that is achievable by the company, but also isn't something that's already taken by the competition or something that your customers just don't care about. So it's it's a focusing period. Delighted to be here. I'm Stephen. I teach my clients a very complicated 11-word marketing and branding seminar. The first five words is your brand is your story. And the next six words is marketing is tastefully telling your story. And the beauty of knowing what your brand is a story and then telling it is that stories get repeated. Your passionate fans will repeat your story, but they'll only do that if you tell your story. And most of my clients, the problem is not that they, they're not doing it tastefully. They're just not doing it all. They just don't tell their story. And you you have to tell your story. This is great. So it sounds like both of you have clients that you've shared this information with. Can you tell us a story of how this worked for somebody or how maybe it didn't? One client that I worked with, a large bagel company in Central California, they had outlets. And this was something that we had also done with Starbucks when they first started. And they needed to brand themselves to be cohesive with the area they were in, which was Sonoma Valley. You know, that's not such a difficult thing. What a wonderful thing to be able to tell that story. But the the important part of their story is since they were a uh, 
um, retail location, restaurant, people, when they walk in, want to know how to regard the place that they're in. They want to know, okay, I made a good decision. This place is, is a place that's for someone like me and also not make it too difficult to order off of the menu. And so something as simple as having a very compelling story on point of sale where there is a opportunity for visuals as well as telling a little bit of the story in a menu that's not impossible to read. That's a real basic, but it's a really important thing in telling your story. Make sure your client or your customer knows right away, this is a place I want to be. This is a place that where I belong. I love the tip of making sure the menu is available to read. Uh, as I'm getting older, it's getting more difficult to read that little print. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. you don't want it to be too complicated. Yeah, exactly. So Deb, tell us about in the digital world, how the story unfolds. Right. Thank you, Cindy. This is Deb Hartman. And I think that in the digital world, what I tell my clients is it's like building a house. So when you build a digital house, you need to build a very, very firm foundation. And you need to have that branding discussion before you start. And it should be inclusive. So if there are a lot of stakeholders that you're working with, whether it's a a two-person business or 75 people involved in a nonprofit, this needs to be a process where everybody's voice needs to be heard. Because you'll find that if you just sit down and work with people, they'll bring ideas to the table that might be missed that are a very important part of the authentic voice of the business or the nonprofit. So that's really the important part about laying the foundation and deciding who are we, where are we, what are we, even details as minor as what is our actual address? What is our business phone number? You'd be amazed at how many times you Google your business and you find that your business may only have one location, but it also has your five prior locations. <laughs> it's interesting. I, it, did you say that? I was at a, an event out of the country, and this guy from Brazil gave me his business card, and his business card had no contact information this on it. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> had a really nice picture and yeah. his name, but nothing else. Yes, underbranding, yeah. we call it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you fix that? Fixing it, Cindy, I think is well, what I like to do with my clients is to sit down and have discovery sessions. So we talk about what our outcomes, what our hoped for outcomes will be a month from now and a year from now. Where do we want to be? What do we want to look like? And we try to put the big rocks in first. So do we need a new website? Absolutely. So how much do we have to spend? $500? Well, that's going to be tough. Part of that process when you build that house is setting a budget. So it's important to set a lot of that budget at the start because getting the help that you need from experts, whether it's your web host or your content writer or a business advisor, an attorney, whatever it is you need, it's really worth spending that budget up front because everything tends to fall into place. Once you once you get that firm foundation, then you can go along with the process and you're not going to worry about falling off base. You're on track. What's on the second floor? What's on the second floor? So when you when you get to the second floor, then you start to put the infrastructure together. So this is your your website, your whole brand livery, your logo, where you appear everywhere you go, what you look like in social media, on your letterhead, on your tote bag, on your email signature. Everything looks the same, and that helps elevate your brand message out of the clutter. You know, I made an assumption that the foundation and the first floor were the same thing. Is that the truth? <laughs> 
not necessarily. The foundation may actually hide a, a subfloor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a whole bunch of digital stuff. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Just wanted to mention that we live in a wonderful time when we talk about stories because social media is the media of now and media of the near future. And that is all about stories. That's all about you telling your stories in a compelling way to your clients and your potential customers. But it's also about engaging with them and allowing them to tell their stories and spreading your brand that way. Never before have we had an opportunity to get so close to our clients and our potential clients and be so open and tell such compelling stories. It's Social media is um, a marketer's dream, really, and I, I'm, I'm excited to be able to be a part of that. You know, after being in the, the red windows and and, and paste-up paste world of, of advertising back in the 80s, to be in the social media world and the ability to really spread your message in an effective way is, is quite exciting. So, Stephen, let me ask you. So, in your house, where does the story come in? What floor does the story come in? I think story is uh, it's pretty preeminent. You have, to, you have to know your story to be able to tell it. And a lot of people just don't know it. So, is that foundational for you? I think so, yeah. yeah. The way I teach it is your brand is your story, and you have to know it. If you don't know it, you can't share it. And then, as Kristen said quite beautifully, it has to be compelling. A lot of people have no idea how to tell a compelling story or what the elements are to a compelling story. How do you draw that out of a person? The experience that I've seen is people come into wanting to start a business or something like that, and you tell them, well, you got to be authentic, and they're like, well, what is authentic? Do I need to tell all my secrets? What exactly do you mean by authentic? So how do you create that? How do you get people to create their story? So two things. Stories have to be authentic, and they have to be compelling. You can only say what's true, but you shouldn't say everything that's true. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that, and it's really hard. I don't think you can create your brand. I think that's impossible. I think the best you can do is discern your brand, and it's really hard to step outside yourself and listen to your story with your heart, but you have to do that so then what you share has some heart in it and you know lets people know what you're doing and why you're doing it, and that puts the heart in it. And it is tough for people to hear their own story, but that's something they do. The authentic piece, it's what's real. It's what's honest. It's what comes from the heart. Um, if it's not authentic, it's people eventually, their BS radar goes off and they just realize this isn't really why you're doing what you're doing. Absolutely essential, Steve. And I wanted to give you an example of a client that I've been working with just the past several months. And this is a small organization in North Portland that has been a food gleaning group since 1988. What's food gleaning? Food gleaning is traditionally is going out into the fields after the crops are harvested and gathering up the things that don't make it into the wagon, so to speak. And it can be on a big field, it can be in a neighborhood backyard, and the goal of gleaning is to save food that might normally go to waste. So this group started doing this just out of the goodness of their hearts back in 1988. They didn't have anything like branding or a website or anything like that. Eventually, years later, a website. And their story is that's how they started. They started with gleaning, a term a lot of us never even hear anymore. And they're still doing that. Only now they glean from grocery stores and food service companies and restaurants. All this food goes to waste and people are going hungry. So they're doing the same thing now that they did. But we we tell that story now. How do you tell that story in a way that's not that they're not interesting? <laughs> How do you tell that story in a way that's interesting? We decided to brand it as an organization that bridges the gap between hunger and food insecurity or food security rather. So so, and they're, they're located in St. John's, and the bridge there is such an iconic part of that community. We really wanted to identify with that. So our new logo 
has the bridge that sort of morphs into a fork somehow, magically. And the website just launched today. It's stjohnsfoodshare.org. And we are poised for growth. We are ready for growth. We've been through our brand journey. And we do have now a 28-year story that we can tell to a much larger audience than, than we've ever been able to before. So we're able to share that some of these people have been involved with this effort since the very beginning. What if you have, for all, for all of our guests, what if you have a client who you know, doesn't have four grand to drop on a website or some number of large cash dollars to, to put down on a logo or a, a brand that stretches across all these collateral materials, but they still want to get out and tell their story? What do you tell them, Kristen? I'm going to say social media, but I'm also going to say something that Stephen and I have talked about. Social media is not free, and, and you cannot expect to do social media for free. Even if you're doing it all yourself, the amount of time that doing a good social media program takes is quite an investment. Stephen, what's your phrase that you use? Social media is not free. Social oh, okay. media is work. So that, that was it. Social media is it work. work. It yeah. is. A lot of new companies, startup companies, use their Facebook page as their website and a very doable thing these days. I think the most, most important thing, if you're a startup and you have limited funds, the thing that you have to put your money into more than anything else is get a professionally designed logo. And why right. is that important? Because you look like an idiot if you don't. And mm. then your business will fail. And so you make sure that you get a really nice logo looks good and then make sure the designer knows how to give you that a logo that looks good that can use for your Facebook cover page. And then you need to have them give you that same logo that's set up for your Facebook profile. And then the same thing for your Twitter header and your Twitter profile. And then that logo looks good across all those platforms and it's professionally designed. It will look great. Companies that don't do that, if you're a startup, you really shouldn't, you shouldn't bother because right. you're, you're going to waste your time and you will not make it because you won't look professional. Right. Could I also assume from what you're saying that the logo tells part of the story? Properly designed logo does, yes. <laughs> and usually if you hire a professional, if you don't know your brand, your story, they'll at least do enough of it to make sure what they create for you is better. You know, in a perfect world, you get someone like Kristen or Deb and they help you figure out your brand and then your logo is based on your brand. But even if you don't want to spend that money, at least have professionally designed images. Go to a real designer, not a friend that knows how to use a computer. Not Fiverr. Yeah, none of those <laughs> things. Go to an actual professional. How you know, much should that cost? Anywhere from 500 bucks to $5,000. just depends on what you have done. I send my clients to Daffodil Marketing Group and they just design images. There's lots and lots of great companies, but I, I can scribble that stuff in yellow pad of paper, what I think it should look like, what I see in my head, but you need an actual designer to make it look sharp. But you need the story first, is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, definitely. If, pos- if at all possible, you've got to know your story so that your logo matches your brand. Your so, lo- in my opinion, your logo's not your brand. Yeah, so I just want to drill down on that just a tiny bit. I understand your point about the importance of a professionally designed logo, but there are a lot of companies out there that are at least medium-sized that are successful and their their logo looks like crap. I mean, it could be pretty intimidating to a new business owner or a startup person to be told, you know, you got to drop, you know, $500 or $1,000 or more on a professionally designed logo or you're going to go out of business. Is it really that dire? Yeah. If you're doing a startup and you don't have $500 or $1,000, start saving the money and within 10 months you'll have it. But what about the businesses that are out there that are really successful and they, have crappy logos? They may have succeeded despite themselves and they may have spent a lot of money to overcome a crappy logo. A logo, as Stephen said, is is not your brand, but it is it is the basis of everything you're doing, and it is important to look look professional and look serious about your business because your customer or your client wants to trust that you know what you're doing. So I have one more comment about logos. Yes, you can spend money, and it's important to invest in logos. However, if you have a budget, let's say you have five hundred dollars for a logo, there are still designers. There are still ways to generate good logo ideas. You could give it as a project to a designer 
design class. You could look at your competitors' logos, share those ideas with several designers, throw it out there, say I have $500 for a logo, get some examples, and then crowdsource them. And let the crowd on your social media help you pick the design. There are some ways, I do agree with Stephen Kristen that it, that it is very important to have the best possible logo that you can right out of the gate. And I'm going to go back to where I started, which is decide what you are and then be that. You've, you've got to make that decision up front, what you're trying to communicate, and your logo needs to communicate that effectively. I work with a lot of food cart owners, and they have a no money. And the reasons are because they have no money, and I tell them they need to get a professionally designed logo. And the ones that don't want to do that, I won't work with because I can't. They're putting their heart and soul into succeeding as a business, and I don't want to see them put their heart and soul into it and miss a vital element that might very well contribute to their failure. So I'm so committed to it that if you're a food cart owner and you don't get a fresh line logo, I won't work with you if you're if you're a startup. Well, thank you, Kristen Taylor, founder and owner of Kristen Taylor Marketing, Stephen Baumler, owner and founder of Spark to Bonfire Consulting, and Deb Hartman, CEO of Deb Hartman Digital. So what are the biggest marketing mistakes and how to avoid them? That's what's coming up next after a short break. Thanks to Albina Community Bank for supporting Biz 503, the new business talk show on Portland Radio Project. Albina is banking on all of us. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Cindy Tortorisi, here with Perry Gruber. Today we're talking marketing strategies for small businesses. Now we're zooming in on the biggest mistakes made by small businesses when it comes to marketing. And we welcome Victor Willis, Principal at Campbelltown Consulting. Great to be here. Kevin O'Neill, Vice President of Client Services at M2P Market. Hello. Deb Hartman, CEO of Deb Hartman Digital. We spoke with you in the last segment. Yes, me again. Welcome again. <laughs> and Christian Mose, Marketing Manager at PCC Climb. Welcome. Hi. We're talking about what goes wrong. I love this segment because it's going to be interesting. As a small business owner, I, I guess there's a lot of things that can go wrong with regard to marketing. Uh, what's the number one thing that you see out there that small business owners get wrong? Harry, I think one of the things that is really challenging for small businesses is spreading themselves too thin and trying to put too many activities maybe at the front of the branding process. I talked earlier about making a foundation in a house. So this means this brand journey needs to be very, very well thought out, particularly about who your customer or your prospect is. Who are they really? Have you done a focus group? Have you talked to a number of people about your efforts and what you're trying to do? Have you talked to strangers? Have you developed an elevator speech? Have you decided where your clients are? Where, where are your prospects? Are they right next door? Are they in and get around the world. So trying to limit your marketing channels to something that you can actually chew on and handle is really important instead of trying to shoot the moon. And, and so, okay, so we hear that a lot, right? You got to know your audience. How can a small business with a limited budget really know their audience? We're talking, talking about these mistakes and people probably make these mistakes because they think, well, my audience is me and I know myself, so I'm going to use my money to reach people like me. You have to get out of your own way. You have to watch and see who's using your products and who's responding in a positive manner to what you are offering. But what if you don't have 
customers and a product yet. So you're, you know, in the early stages of this. Then I think you're networking and you're out talking to people. You're sending up trial balloons. You're starting to work with clients and customers and you're following sales from the very, very start of the sales process all the way through to point of purchase. Okay, we've got Victor over there nodding his head. Victor, you want to add something? I was just going to add to that. I work primarily with food and drink entrepreneurs and, you know, when they haven't started up their brand and their company, I mean, the best way to do it is walk the farmer's market downtown. It's it, the second or third best farmer's market in the United States. So it's a great point to get information. Another one is just talk to stewards or people that work within a supermarket or a co-op store. They meet with brands, companies, Every day, there are a wealth of information, and it's, it, you can certainly utilize that. Kristen, tell us about PCC Climb. How do you help brands figure these kinds of things out before they make the mistakes? Yeah, so that we do a lot of that work at our small business development center, where I actually do teach some classes on marketing and branding. And to what Deb was saying is really in our classes, we try to educate people on what does it mean to create a brand. Let's think through your target audience. Really spend the time thinking strategically who you are and how are you going to present yourself in the world and that is the foundation to any marketing activities you do what what events you're at who you network with what type of tactics that you use and also uh, a lot of small business owners they're they're not creatives they're not marketing professionals so they look to agencies and and freelancers to help them execute their marketing plan and if they don't take that time to understand who they are when they go to a professional or expert they can get really off track if they don't know how to advocate for their own brand. And just a quick story here. We were working with a small business owner, family business, really beautiful how she articulated their product and how meaningful it was and especially unique. And they always sell in person. Great. Excellent. But she says that the website is not converting. So we pull up the website and it's like, whoa, this is not even remotely close to what you just described about your brand and how you feel about it. And what was so heartbreaking for me is that, this, you know, $5,000 or more on this website. And, and it, I mean, it's never going to convert for them because it does not reflect their brand at all. So at the Small Business Development Center, we really try to educate and empower small business owners to make better decisions. Okay, you guys. So let's say that I'm a business owner of the type that Christian is just now talking about, and I've dropped five grand on a a crappy website. What is the next step for me? How do I resuscitate my my big mistake that I've just made? Well, we see this a lot, actually. Uh, so we work with a lot of small businesses and specifically their websites. And a lot of the times, it's kind of a disaster zone. And it is a frustrating process when you've actually, you know, when you've sunk all this money into a website and it's not working out. But kind of have to sometimes look at it like a sunk cost, which is a really painful thing to hear. But your website is your most important marketing piece for a lot lot of people, like a lot of small businesses, before they even say hi to somebody, their customers have already looked up everything about them. They've looked at their reviews and it all starts with their website. And especially if you're not getting found in Google and your website looks horrible when people show up, you know, a lot of the times you just need to put in that work before it starts becoming a useful tool for you again. So just to follow up on, on your comment, you, you mentioned the term uh, sunk cost. And I know one of the other big mistakes that businesses make is they throw money after bad money. And so maybe if you could describe for the 
the listeners what a sunk cost is so they can understand what you're talking about. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, it depends on what you try to do. I, if if you start with a website and you maybe you get it all custom coded and it's great, but a lot of the times you can go through and just adapt and make some changes. And that's a lot of the times what we do will work within that framework. But, you know, there's also some really useful tools as far as like WordPress makes things really easy to have a useful website, a functional website that still looks really good. And so a lot of the times, yeah, if you did sync $15,000 into a custom designed website and everything's just haywire and going crazy, a lot of the times you just have to start over from the basics and work with a firm that kind of knows what they're doing. And and that way you, you'll build it from the ground up the way it should be. Okay. So I don't mean to get too tactical here, but I hear about this a lot, that people have real trouble with their websites. So there's two sides of it, right? There's the front of the house and the back of the house, the people that actually do the programming and then the people that do the design in the front, right? So how do you find the greatest people to do this for you? What's the process? Finding a good web developer is really easy. The way I recommend you do it is go to meetups, meetup.com, and go to the well. Go to the places where talented web developers hang out. So go register for a conference, go to a workshop. There, A lot of these workshops are free. Meetups are free. So go ahead and go t- start talking to people. Find out what stage they are in their own career. Find out how much talent they, they have. Take a look at their work. See if their work looks like what you might like your website to look at. Talk about your budget. There are ways to barter. Maybe you provide a service that they could use. So that's there are lots and lots of ways to to get a great website. And just one more thing I would recommend is if you're talking about a website that's very, very poor, for the uh, example you mentioned, Kristen, I'd rather see a company with a website like that take it down and put up two or three good, credible, clean web pages that actually say what they told you they did and then work on it in the background. This stuff does not happen overnight. It does take time. It is iterative. I just want to add for the early stage businesses that are just starting up and don't really have cash flow to what Kevin was saying, there's a lot of kind of do-it-yourself website builders, Squarespace, Shopify, Wix, Weebly. Um, WordPress, I would say, is maybe a little bit more complicated, but WordPress is great. So when you're just starting out and you don't really have a proven concept yet or you know you don't want to sink a lot of money in, you can put a really nice website design together and really have a professional look. That's a really good advice for companies that are maybe a little tight on cash, which a lot of startups usually are before their funding comes in. Victor, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I was just going to say in the food and drink space, it can be quite transparent. You know, Firstly, quite often you can look for companies that you admire and respect, look to their websites and look to see at the bottom who created that. Testimonials can be very, very helpful as well. People that you admire, maybe a mentor or your circle of advisors or people that you know very well, they might have suggestions for you. So some very simple things that can be cost effective. Okay. So we're talking about getting your audience right, making sure you're not dropping a lot of money on a terribly designed website. What other mistakes are out there lurking in the business shadows? Well, I will say, I do think that a Squarespace website or a lot of these things where you can just work within a framework are really, really good for just making a website that has a good look to it. Um, It shows the values of your company. But a lot of local companies don't really know how to get that website found in Google. And I even wrote a blog post about this. There's like seven of like the same mistakes that you see again and again. And and a lot of it is just focusing on local SEO and trying to figure out how you can get people to look for it when people are looking 
for garage door repair Portland, you know, you can, it's a lot easier to be found when you're having those search terms in there, like Portland or Vancouver, than if you're trying to be the number one garage door repair place in the world. So Kevin, can you talk a little bit more about that? So once you, if you have a website and you don't know whether it's SEO optimized, how do you, can you fix that on the back end? Yeah, I think a lot of good SEO just starts from the content is just having really good content on your website is going to be the most important thing. So Um, it actually comes from the the verbiage on the pages. Yeah, the words that you have on the website are probably the most important thing that Google's going to look at as far as a a local SEO strategy. You don't need a full-blown like social media marketing strategy or anything like that all you need to do is just kind of fill out your website with a lot of good uh, good stuff to at least get the basics down and then if you're looking at a more competitive industry like you know bankruptcy or auto insurance or something like that, you know, then you're going to have to look at higher level stuff. But for a lot of small local retailers or something like that, all you really need is just kind of like the basics of of what you guys do. One of the areas that I think people, business owners could blow a lot of money on in regards to marketing is the advertising that they seek out and pay for. So tell us uh, some of the mistakes that can happen there. I know this is going to date me, but yellow pages, for example, display ads, what are the, the mistakes in, in like reaching out to your audience once you know who they are that you could make and spend a lot of money on? That's a big topic. <laughs> <laughs> and we only have a few more minutes. <laughs> yes. You know, to give you an example of something that's very, very inexpensive that really works if you're just getting started and you don't have a big budget, Facebook. Seriously, if you are building a small business that is a food cart or an artisan business or something like that, I can tell you that just last week I spent $20 on Facebook average advertising and I had phenomenal results. You have to pick the right post. You have to be very careful about what you promote. So that was just a test. The results were phenomenal. The medium really depends on where your audience is. It depends fiercely on your budget. And it's so important, as Kristen was saying, when you go out and you run an ad, you better make sure that when they come to your restaurant or when they come to your website, they find what they're looking for. You either create a special landing page that refers back to your offer or you reflect the the mission that you put out there to invite them in. Awesome. Awesome. So what if you get more response on your website than you can handle and don't have the capacity to respond to everyone? My question would be, what kind of leads are those? Are they qualified leads? And so if you're getting a lot of contacts and whatnot and you're finding you know maybe only 20% of them are, are worthwhile, what you can do is really tailor your content and create filters and kind of gateways to continually qualify those leads as they're interacting with you online and automate that process. So you're not answering those emails, but you have a system in place that can can help you with that. How do you design that so that it, it stays aligned with the authenticity that we were talking about in the beginning? I think first and foremost, it starts with having really, really great copy and content on your website. If you're upfront with, this is who I am, this is how I, this is how I operate, these are the clients that I like to work best with, people will self-select out if they're not resonating with you. This is where mission and values come into big play. And so you can start educating people on your brand. And then through that process, people shouldn't get upset with you because they're educated and they know what they're getting into along the way. So you would agree then that everyone should get a response perhaps because the person here is talking about, I have so many people contacting me, I can't get to everybody. There should be some type of response there knowing what kind of questions are they asking. If you're getting asked the same questions over and over again, thinking about putting together, you know, canned responses having an FAQ section up on 
your website. And, and hopefully those types of questions will decrease and you get more qualified leads, more bottom of the funnel. Thanks, everyone. Great to have you all. That was really great information. Thank you. I learned quite a bit. We'll look at innovations in marketing, new tools you can be using when we come back. Stay tuned. Looking to take your career or business to the next level? The CLIMB Center for Advancement offers fast, specialized training to help with professional, team, business, or personal goals. Backed by the experience and size of PCC. Learn more at pcc.edu slash CLIMB. I'm Perry Gruber of Copiosis, hosting Biz 503 Today with Cindy Tortorici of The Link. Today's subject is must-have marketing for small business. Joining us now is Kristen Taylor, founder and owner of Kristen Taylor Marketing. Victor Willis, principal at Campbelltown Consulting. Welcome back. Stephen Schaumler, owner, founder of Spark to Bonfire Consulting. And Joshua Klein, director of development at M2P Marketing. So we're talking about innovations and must-have strategies. So what's what would you say are the, I'm talking to everybody here, what would you say the number one strategy that small businesses should have when they're approaching their marketing plans? Good relationship skills. Okay. Say more oh, about that. interesting. Good relationship skills. What do you mean by that? Well, it's funny. I mean, you can talk about technologies and innovations, but really at the core, everyone has kind of a unique personality and hopefully your, your personality identifies with your business and the people you're trying to reach to. But you also maybe want to kind of recognize that it's, it's service, right? At, at the end of the day, so many times it's about the engagement that you have. So the relationship is what matters most. I really like that because it plays back into the first segment. We were talking about authentic stories. So what do you do if you're a business owner who is a introvert and communication skills are perhaps lacking? Well, I think the easy answer is to find someone who knows how to engage, who understands your brand and can help you, right? You want to employ someone that's going to be the face that's going to solve that, although the potential issue is is budget, right? So, you know, maybe you have to find a workaround to to force yourself to get out there. Okay. And Stephen, you had something to add? Fundamental to relationships is people skills. I highly encourage all my clients to read How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's an old, old book. It won't tell you how to have deep, meaningful relationships, but it'll tell you basics that a lot of people are lacking. And even someone that's an introvert would find things in that book, uh, doable steps that they could do that would improve their relationships. I also would like to give a tip of the hat to someone in town who does a great job teaching networking because networking is at the basis of all of this. And networking doesn't have to mean that you're going out and and shoveling off all the business cards that you can possibly shovel off. But it does mean that you need to be able to tell your story and do so effectively and with confidence. Ronnie Noyes up at the DIY Marketing Center runs a fantastic networking program that is very inexpensive and I recommend to a lot of businesses who are just getting started. Often, you know, I know many introvert and extrovert entrepreneurs and, and those that are have are more on the, on the introvert spectrum have really excellent written communication skills. And so and it's often making sure that um, they're playing to their strengths and then surrounding them with kind of love and support and direction and advice. Wonderful. So my question is, marketing as a concept is pretty broad. And so we talked about networking and relationship building, but there are other components to marketing. So maybe we could somebody take that one and say, okay, what are the different components do you have within a marketing strategy? And what are the must-haves in any 
true strategy? I would preface that firstly by saying before you even start to think about developing a marketing plan, you want to make sure that you have very clear a very clear business plan with clear goals and objectives. That's going to be, you know, the marketing plan is going to be the fuel, but you need to actually have the engine running. And it, it's really important to have those elements. I see many companies that are thinking about developing a brand, but they need to think about it as developing a business. And that includes having a business model and um, having other things in place. There's a lot of different types of marketing, email marketing, social media marketing. You can put ads in the Willamette Week. You can buy TV ads. You can do social media. You can do Facebook. You can do Twitter. Uh, I think Joshua could even tell us how to effectively do text marketing. To me, marketing is storytelling and tastefully telling your stories how to find marketing and then what platforms are you going to use to do that. Another way I look at marketing is uh, marketing is the process of attracting, acquiring, and retaining clients. So it's really a three-step, three-prong process. And then in a good marketing plan, you usually have six steps, six portions of your marketing plan and includes identifying who your market is, what your mission is for your marketing, what your messaging is, how much money you have, which also includes how many resources you have within your organization in the form of time and your messaging. So there's, there's a lot of really important facets of a good marketing plan, but the bottom line is you're attracting, acquiring, and retaining your clients. And a lot of people forget to do that last step. I think that, yeah, that's absolutely critical is, is the last step is retaining. Um, a lot of times people put together marketing plans and, and put together ideas and, and they'll, they'll even spend money. They'll drop serious money on attracting and bringing them through the door, but not recognizing the value of database. And that's kind of who we have been, MTP Marketing, at our core at the beginning. And that is through text message, which in terms of just numbers, marketing numbers wise, has a, a, a huge impact with, with direct connection and the response you get out of that. Email and text are both critical databases and those are retention pieces. It ties right back into that relationship. You've engaged, you've acquired them, you've brought them in, they've liked you, and now you need to stay in touch with them. And that's that that response. So let me bring this down to a very basic question. Is social media a part of every marketing plan? I'm going to go on a limb here and say I cannot think of a company that cannot use social media. Social media has a lot of different platforms. There's a lot of different ways to get into social media ranging from Pinterest to Facebook to LinkedIn to, you know, there's probably one that was invented while we were on the air right now. I honestly cannot think of a business that cannot use social media to engage with their with their clients. Yeah, it's where your clients are. It's where you can connect with them, talk with them, and while although social media is not free, which Christian can explain, it's, it's pretty reasonably priced compared to a lot of other options. One note I would add to that, I do believe and agree that pretty much every business can have that social media presence. They need to identify which channel, and by channel I mean, are you talking about Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, where that is, is best suited for you, and also how you intend to be using it and engaging. Because some businesses, it's a very moderate level of, of need, but they have that presence. And the presence is there because it's expected in the marketplace. It's expected for the people who may hear their name and want to go and find them. So that's why it's, it's 
critical for all, but how they utilize it and how they engage is greatly diverse. I want to get back to social network marketing. Can you further elaborate on the statement that social media is not free? I think I blurted that one out. This is Kristen. Social media is not free and it's work. And that comes from our friend Stephen Schaumler. The amount of time that you need to invest in social media is significant because not only do you need to put out a consistent and branded message on a daily basis, you also need to be sure to engage with any interactions you get with your clients. Let's say that you're still wondering, well, that's free. I can do it myself. Your time is worth a lot of money. And the time that you're spending on social media is critical, but it also takes away from your primary business. That is one way that social media is not free. Another way is our friends at Facebook have some very intense algorithms that make it very difficult for people to see your Facebook business page feed. The way that you get around that is by doing Facebook ads. And some people scream and cry about that, that that's not fair. But the ability to dial in your Facebook ads by on the market is, to me, a, a dream. I, I started out as a media planner, being able to say, I want this, this ad to reach males between the ages of 25 and 34 who like cars and happen to live in the St. John's area. You can do that with your Facebook ads, and it's not prohibitively expensive. So those are two ways that social media is not free. A lot of people, particularly in startups, they'll say, I'm going to put in my 10 to 12 hours of work, then I'll go home and do my social media. And they put their social media outside their work. And really, it's better to say, I'm going to put in 11 and a half hours doing what I normally do. And then the extra half hour of work is my social media. And now I've put my 12 hours in. Because usually, if you separate it out, it's easy to not get to it when you're in a startup. So I want to go back to text marketing, because this is really fascinating innovation here. So how do you use text messaging in a way that doesn't come off to the receiver of those messages as spam or an intrusion or an interruption in their daily life? I mean, I can see getting a text message from my wife and being like, oh, she's she's interrupting a meeting, but I'm going to respond because I love her. But what about a business? It's kind of funny because Stephen actually sort of asked me this outside. And the question was like, do people use this? And do people engage? Do people engage with it? And the answer is yes, they do. And that's the perfect question is how do you use this? Well, if you're doing it through a company that's following the Mobile Marketing Association best practices, first of all, you're pretty much safe on that platform. And the way that the way that we do it is entirely permission-based. So it's really about your call to action for them to engage with your business, you know, and that's often done through contesting, you know, join our list and enter for a chance to win XYZ or through a special promotional offer, text in, join our, you know, join our mobile club and we'll give you XYZ. It can also simply just be an engagement tool piece or an informational connection, you know, maybe for a nonprofit or a business that wants to continue to push in information that they know that their customer base is going to value, then the call to action is, you know, sign up for our new info list, you know, or our new announcements, special announcements or or new products, whatever it is, right? At the core, it is permission-based. And every single message that that person receives subsequent once they've signed up to that database should have an opt-out in it. And they can say, I don't want this anymore. That puts the power in the consumer's hand. So you mentioned something in your response, Joshua, of a, an industry association, the Mobile Marketing. Yeah, Mobile Marketing Association. You can dig into that, and it, you know they'll they've got best practices on there and everything else. I'm imagining this text option, so I can imagine how you do that on your emails, and you have yeah. a certain list that's separate. How do you create a separate yeah. list from a text perspective? So talking about going back to how do you use this? Let's just take a restaurant. We have clients that are restaurants and 
have used this very successfully in, in their business. They will run a promotion on their tables in their business that say, you know, text in for a chance to, you know, uh, win a $25 gift certificate plus get $3 off your tab right now. Right. So that engages. It's telling them, you know, I, I sign up. I can get three bucks off my tab. I also get a chance to win a $25. It pulls me into that list. Now, if they have multiple locations, you could do a different what's called keyword for each of those locations. So texting, it's almost like your business has a phone number, which obviously it does have a phone number, but this is called a short code. It's five digits as opposed to seven. It's that mobile number with a keyword. So you'd, you'd text in pizza to, you know, 27299 for this chance to win. And that pulls them into that list, right? Different keywords would pull them into different silos of lists. What other innovations are out there in the marketing field for small businesses to take advantage of? I think video is becoming a, a, a really big, important vehicle for companies. And, you know, YouTube is certainly being used increasingly by a lot of clients that I work with, creating pages, uh, refreshing and building unique content. You know, another one is Periscope, one of these new platforms. The cost of entry is obviously very low and it's a fun way to play around with a new tool. Can you just real quickly describe what Periscope is? Periscope is a lot of fun. It's integrated with your Twitter account and you use your telephone. You know, it, people so often with video have created such a high point of entry, they feel like they have to have this beautiful studio and they have to have everything scripted out. And what's beautiful about Periscope is you are, it's real time, it's video, and it and you can do it right from your phone. And it's it creates very engaging content. I've seen some small businesses that I know very very well, they've gone on and created personas and followings and really built their business through their Periscope following. That's also becoming an option on Facebook. Facebook is having live video feed is also new on Facebook. So that's another way to get video into your mix. Video, the research shows if you have video in your content, the engagement is multiple tens of percentage. And I wish I knew the figure right off my head, top of my head, but the amount of engagement that you get from video is is multiple times that of any other content. So get yourself on video. People um, are not going to critique your hair or your or, or your clothing as much as you think they're going to. And put it on your website. I'll just throw that because yes. in terms of value for SEO and and getting more traffic and being better ranked, web content. Uh, sorry, video content absolutely matters. We want to thank all of our guests today. You guys have been awesome. We've had some great information. So we've had Deb Hartman, the CEO of Deb Hartman Digital. We've had Joshua Klein. Thank you, Joshua. Director of Development at M2P Marketing. Christian Mosian, the Marketing Manager at PCC Climb. Kevin O'Neill, Vice President of Client Services at M2P Marketing as well. Stephen Schomler, Owner, Founder of Spark to Bonfire Consulting. Kristen Taylor, founder and owner of Kristen Taylor Marketing, and Victor Willis, who's the principal of Campbelltown Consulting. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. Have a great weekend. Thanks to Albina Community Bank for supporting Biz 503, the new business talk show on Portland Radio Project. Albina is banking on all of us.